The book of 1 Timothy is all about church life written to a young pastor. Timothy, of course. And it's written with the understanding that it's for the whole church to read and to benefit from. And so it's a mixed audience, right? It's written to Timothy, but it's also written to the whole church. It's written to an individual, and it's written to the body, the body of the church, the the whole church. And that mixed audience of the individual and the group, both being combined together as, as one that he's writing to, that's central to the whole purpose of Paul's letter. As we've already seen, he's warning Timothy about bad teaching, about bad teachers who are teaching things about the law that are incorrect. And the reason that he's warning Timothy is so that Timothy can silence it and stop those men. But at the same time, Paul is writing to warn the whole church, not just Timothy. And he's writing to warn the whole church so that they will not fight against Timothy's leadership in this area. In our passage this morning, we see Paul's thankfulness that he's been saved and put to work serving the church as an apostle. And what I want you to see there is that what he does is he again combines the individual and the group. He, he combines him thinking about himself and thinking about the church into one, into one thought. Just like the letter is written to, to one individual and to the whole body, so he thinks of himself, and he thinks of himself not just as an individual, but as a member of the body with a role to play. So, He's been given specifically the work of an apostle, and he thinks about what that means both for himself and for the church as a whole. And then he immediately turns around, and he tells Timothy to be the same as he is. And what is he? Well, the two things that we see him focusing on with regard to himself and the church are himself saved, And with regard to the church, serving. Paul is saved and serving. And together those things play a role for Timothy as well, that Timothy is to be saved and serving. And that the church is supposed to understand this as central to what everybody is called to in the body, to be saved and serving. So please stand for the reading of God's word from 1 Timothy 1, 12 through 20. I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has strengthened me because he considered me faithful, putting me into service even though I was formerly a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent aggressor. Yet I was shown mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was more than abundant with the faith and love which are found in Christ Jesus. It is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, among whom I am foremost of all. Yet for this reason I found mercy, so that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might demonstrate his perfect patience as an example for those who would believe in him for eternal life. Now to the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. This command I entrust to you, Timothy, my son in accordance with the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you fight the good fight, keeping faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected and suffered shipwreck in regard to their faith. 
Among these are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan, so that they will be taught not to blaspheme. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. The doctrine of the church, which is also called ecclesiology, okay, for a big word, ecclesiology, the doctrine of the church is pretty controversial. There's a lot uh, of... There's a lot of competing ideas that we have variously heard explicitly taught or maybe just kind of gathered on our own through living and interacting with the church at various times. And here in Cincinnati, there's a movement and in the surrounding areas that's called... Uh, restorationism, the restorationist movement. <clears throat> and this is a, an idea of what the doctrine of the church means, what, how the church is supposed to be. And this particular idea is that we need to have a goal of removing all of the extra junk that's build up, built up in the church, all of the cruft that's been added to the church in the last 2,000 years, And we need to go back to the way that it was during the time of the apostles. That the church needs to be just like the church was back when you're reading in Acts. Okay? Now that sounds really good. And there are some really good and true um, goals in that movement. So again, what is it? It's restorationism. It's the idea that the stories in Acts and the rest of the New Testament are normative, meaning that they set the pattern for what the church is supposed to look like forever. You've probably, if you've lived in Cincinnati or roundabout, you've probably been affected by this teaching. You've probably swallowed some of this teaching, even if you didn't know it. And in certain ways, it does make sense. But what I want you to realize this morning as we look at this passage in Timothy is that the idea of restorationism has some some fundamental flaws. And we need to be aware of them. And the first one is that we have to realize right away that the church back then the, the early church, the very first church, the one that's closest to Christ Jesus, the one that is uh, under the teaching and leadership of the apostles, that church is filled with sin at that time, just as it is today. We have to, we have to get that through our minds first, that the church was not just filled with sinners like it is today, but the church was filled with sin like it is today. It did things wrong. There were, there were bad things that were happening in the church at that time. And there are still bad things happening in the church today. So the first, the first rule of biblical ecclesiology, of understanding what the Bible says about what the church is supposed to be like, is recognizing that it's always had sin in it. If we don't get that right, then we're going to be, we are going to be easily convinced that we're doing everything wrong today because anything that looks different must be wrong. But if what the early church was doing had some sin in it, you see, then we need to be able to judge rightly whether what they were doing was good or what they were doing was bad. So first we have to recognize that the church has always had sin in it. And second, we need to remember that back then the church had apostles. And so the Bible was still being written 
They didn't have the Bible, but they did have apostles. And that today, we do have the whole Bible, but we don't have apostles. And that's a change that God made that makes the church today different from the early church. We can't go back to the time before we had the whole Bible and having apostles. You see, it's obvious, right? Because to go back to that would be to require us to throw away the Bible and to begin to raise up men beyond where God has raised them up. That's impossible. The only way that that could happen and be good is if you came up with a time machine and learned to travel and actually get back to that time. Then you could say, well, we don't have the whole Bible and we do have apostles. But that was the only time. Now, those two things sound obvious. The church has always had sin in it. And back then, the church had apostles but didn't have the whole Bible yet. They're both the the equivalent of saying sort of, well, the sky is blue and the grass is green. If you have any kind of spiritual knowledge and training, if you grew up in the church, you know the church has always had sin in it because you can't read any of the New Testament without realizing, oh, that's sin. Oh, that's sin. Oh, they shouldn't have done that. That was sin, right? If you read any of the New Testament, you're going to run into the sin. And you're reading the Bible and you're realizing, oh, this is a letter. There was Timothy and he was... He was there, and he was working, and he was at that church, but he didn't have the letter of Timothy yet. But Paul was an apostle, and then he wrote him the letter, and then we had the book of 1 Timothy. This is how that worked. I get it. And and so it's just one of those facts that you you understand. Yeah, the Bible was written progressively, and then that and then it was done, and I now I understand where it came from. But both of those facts are represented here in our passage this morning. The sin is mostly, again, prior to verse 12 where we started. But I explained at the very beginning that Timothy has been instructed and the church is being instructed to reject false teaching and false teachers, specifically those who are teaching bad things about the law. Right? And so the church has this corruption in it. And that means that it needs to be fought. It's never been that there was this time where the church was nice and pure and wonderful and perfect. And then we see that Paul is the apostle and he's writing the letter. So we see that the, the coming in of 1 Timothy informs the church and the, the people who are bad and the people who are good, the people who are false teachers and the true teacher, Timothy, right? It informs both of them of how they're supposed to be acting. And so now you've got the book of First Timothy and you've got more information and the church has more information. So the church progresses as it receives this additional revelation from God through the apostles. So you can't see these things without immediately understanding, oh, this has implications for us and how we're supposed to think of the church. We are not trying to go back to the way it was at that time. The way it was, right? What we are trying to do is to follow God's instructions to the church as he revealed them through the teaching of the apostles in his word. So the word is central. The Bible is central to us understanding what the church is supposed to look like and how we as individuals are supposed to be involved in the church. And this little passage that that we read, verses 12 through 20, just you know, a short section from a short letter. This gives us Paul describing the, the church, the individual, and the individual's role in the church using himself as the example 
and using Jesus as an example, and then commanding Timothy to follow in his footsteps, to be like him, to do the same kinds of things. And so today, we know that we're supposed to do the same kinds of things, not because we look back and we see that the church was doing it, but because we look back and we see that the church wasn't doing it, and that Paul had to write them a letter instructing them to do it. And so what does Paul do? What do we learn in the passage today? We don't just learn that the church wasn't perfect back then. We learn that the church is made up of individuals who are saved and serving. Saved and serving. And we learn to connect their salvation as individuals with their service to the church, their serving of the body. He connects those two things together. Now, he doesn't connect them in making them exactly the same thing, right? He doesn't connect them by saying, uh, you know, if you do good things for the body, then God will let you into heaven and you'll be saved, right? He doesn't make this into works righteousness, that you can work your way to salvation by doing good things for, for the church. And of course, this is what the Reformation was, uh, was fighting against. The Reformation was fighting against the Roman Catholic Church teaching that if you just did good things for the church, that you could, you could guarantee your salvation. And those good things would, could look like any number of different things, including simply giving money. So the Roman Catholic Church was teaching that if you would give money to the church in service to the church, that what would happen? You would be saved. That was the guarantee that they were, that they were saying. You know, if you simply give money to the building of the big cathedral, you will be saved. That's not how Paul connects service and salvation. He does connect them, but he doesn't connect them that way, right? So, serving the church doesn't save you. But he also doesn't say how, you know, we're going to get to what he does say about the connection between service and salvation. But he also doesn't say that those performing service to the church have proved that they are saved. Okay? He doesn't say you can earn your salvation. He also doesn't say, you know, you can... You, you know that somebody is saved uh, if they're serving the church. What does he say? <clears throat> well, what he says is that we are saved as individuals into... I want to read this here. When we are saved as individuals, we are saved into the church of Jesus Christ and given work to do by God. We are saved into the church, into the body, and given work to do, and both of those things are done by God. Where do we see that in the passage? Well, it's right there at the beginning, verse 12. I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has strengthened me because he has considered me faithful, putting me into service, right? God put Paul into service. And then he goes into saying, even though I was all of these bad things. Now, you kids, do you remember what 
Paul's name was before he was called Paul? Raise your hand if you know what Paul's first name was. Any of you? Do you know? Got one back? Oh, yes. Saul. Yeah, it's easy to remember because they rhyme. Paul first was Saul. And when Paul was Saul, before he was Paul, you guys are going to remember that, right? When Paul was still Saul, what was he like? Was he a good man? Liam, what was he like? He was bad. That's right. Why was he bad? What did he do? What did he do? Well, I'll read you what he says here, and then we'll have to give definitions of it, okay? We'll have to explain it. One second, I'm going to read it. He says, I was a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent aggressor. And then he says also that he was ignorant and unbelieving. Ignorant and unbelieving, but that his ignorance and his unbelief led him to doing these things, blaspheming, persecuting, and violently aggressing. So, what do those things mean? Any ideas? What, what, did, what did Saul do? He tried to hurt, yeah. He tried to hurt people, that's right. What people did he try to hurt? God's people, that's right. He tried to hurt the church. And this is the very church that he was put into service serving, right? The very people that he is now um, leading, that he is now uh, having to try to convince with a letter to Timothy and leaving Timothy as helper. You know, Paul would like to have Timothy with him, I'm sure. <laughs> but instead he leaves Timothy and, and he gives Timothy work to do. Why? All of this because he's been put into service serving God and God's people. And when, when Saul was confronted by Jesus when he was on the road to Damascus, Jesus says, why are you persecuting me? Why are you persecuting me? What, what Saul had been doing was he had been hurting Jesus' people. And, and Jesus is so connected to his people, he identifies himself with them so closely that when Paul or Saul is hurting Jesus' people, it hurts Jesus. And so he says, why are you hurting me? And so Saul stops. And he's saved. And he begins to serve. He begins to serve. That's what all those... Blasphemer is somebody who uh, speaks wicked things about God. A persecutor is someone who attacks God's people. And a violent aggressor is someone who... Well, with kids it's kicking and punching or pinching or biting each other. Right? Did I miss any of the... The things you're not allowed to do in wrestling. <laughs> so those are all of the, the he was he was tr- not just persecuting in trying to make Christians miserable. He was persecuting in trying to hurt them, trying to throw them in jail, trying to get them to die. Now, why does he bring up that that's what he was doing? He brings it up because the whole point is. He doesn't deserve to be allowed to even serve the church of Jesus Christ. He doesn't deserve to be allowed to serve. What he deserves is death. What he deserves is God's wrath and punishment. 
And so he's thankful that he's been put into service. He's thankful that he's allowed to serve, even though he used to be this violent aggressor, this persecutor of Jesus Christ and his church. So Paul was saved into the body, because now anyone who persecutes Paul is persecuting Jesus. He has become one of the body. He has become part of Jesus Christ. Now, when Jesus Christ speaks to the next person and, and says, why are you persecuting me? And he's talking about the people who, are, who have stoned Paul, right? <laughs> so we are, as individuals, saved into the church, and we become one with Christ through that salvation. And then... He puts us to work serving that body. He gives us jobs to do in that body. Now, other places, Paul writes different letters. In one of those letters, he talks about how we're a body. And he talks about the different body parts. And he says every different body part has a different job to do. It serves the body in different ways. So the hand, the hand is good for grabbing things and picking them up, right? But your foot is not good for grabbing things and picking them up. How many of you have ever tried to pick something up with your foot? Yeah, we all have tried it, and it doesn't work very well. The majority of the time, you better, you're better off just using your hand, right? And how many of you have ever tried to talk with your ear? Have you ever tried that, Henry? No. Because you can't do it, right? Nobody tries to talk with their ear because the ear is only good for one thing. Well, it's good for hearing and it's good for getting eaten by your parents. That ear bacon is yummy. I've got some kids who are too old. Too old for this to be entertaining, huh? Your eyes, yeah, your eyes are the same. They're good for looking, right? They're good for seeing. And that's what, that's what Paul is talking about here. He's saying, I've been put into service. Even though I was this useless thing, this thing that was hurting the body, now I'm part of the body and I've been put into service. I've been saved and made part of the body. That's the salvation part. And then I've been given work to do. You never would have thought that the tumor that was trying to kill the body would actually be incorporated into the body and made into a wonderful, useful tongue. Would you? You wouldn't think it. And yet, that's the beauty of what God has done. It's not just that we're saved as individuals, but that then we're given the work to do. And so now, all of you in here have been given work to do. You've all been, you've all been given service to do. In, in service to God in his church. So why do you serve? Why do you work? Why do you do work for the church? Why do you do work for the, the body of Christ? There's a lot of reasons that you can do work. And a lot of them are bad reasons. You shouldn't work because you feel guilted into it. Right? What's Paul saying here? I thank Christ Jesus our Lord because I've been put into service. Because he strengthened me. Because he considered me faithful and was willing to use me. Are you thankful that, you're, that God is willing to use you? Then serve him. Don't, don't serve because, well, you know, somebody asked, and they asked so many times that I thought, well, 
it's going to be awkward for me to say no this time. I better just go ahead and do it. What a ridiculous reason to serve. That's not service, really. It's not about gratefulness that God has saved you and then giving yourself in joy to, to serving his body, is it? So why do you serve? Paul shows us why we're supposed to serve. <clears throat> we are to be grateful that God considers us faithful in spite of our sins. All that stuff that Saul did. In spite of all of that, he's willing to put us to work. And not just in spite of our sins, but in spite of our obvious weaknesses. Right? Paul had some obvious weaknesses. He talks about how he's not very impressive in person. You guys know that Paul wasn't a very impressive man. Easy to despise. But Paul's not ashamed of that. He says, all the more glory goes to God because of my weaknesses and because of my, because of my sins that were in the past. And that's what he does in this whole passage. He ends up turning to the fact that he's been shown mercy and he, and he talks about the grace of God being more than abundant to make him into an apostle. To make a violent aggressor persecutor of the church, into one of his apostles. That's how great grace is. We typically think of grace being so great that those sins can be forgiven, that we can be saved. Right? But he takes it really to this totally different trajectory. He's like, yeah, I was saved. The grace is so great that I've been set up as an apostle. It's not, it's, it's not enough for us to be happy that we've been saved as individuals. And this, this has bearing on the work of the church as a whole. It has, it has bearing on our idea of ecclesiology, of what the church's purpose is. And the missions work of the church as well. Because the missions work of the church in the 20th century and into, the, and into, and into this century has been basically just get them saved. Just get, just get them saved with no understanding that this, that the progression is saved to service. And not just service as an individual universally, right? But service to the body of Christ, particularly. And so Paul, speaks of the grace of God and the faith and love that are found in Christ Jesus. <clears throat> and of, then he, he immediately talks about salvation in the next verse. It's a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, among whom I am foremost of all. He raises himself up to the point of being the worst the worst sort of sinner. Yet, for this reason I found mercy, so that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might demonstrate his perfect patience. God demonstrates his perfect patience by using the wickedest of men, Paul, and saving him as an example for those who would believe in him for eternal life. Now, even there, do you see what he's doing? He's saying, I have been saved so that I can be an example, so that Jesus can use me as an example for others. You see that? Even when he's talking about the salvation of others, he, he talks about his own purpose, his own service, to the church being one of simply existing as an example. God saved me so that I could be an example for others to, to show that they can be saved. 
Paul is perpetually concerned about service to others. There's nothing that he writes where he's not thinking about other people. He's always acting, knowing that he's been saved to a work. Now, the particular work that God has given him to do is to be an apostle, right? And none of us in this room have been called to be an apostle, but all of us in this room have been called to serve him. Some of you serve by helping set up. Some of you serve by leading us musically. Some of you serve by running the slides and the sound system, by helping tear down, by cooking, by cleaning. The kinds of service are limitless, right? Some people serve by teaching. Some people serve in exercising authority. And Paul is doing both of those things with this letter. He's teaching and he's exercising the authority that God has given him. And that's his service that he's rendering to the church. And it's a hard work. But his goal is to establish the church stronger. And so he just never stops serving. Why? Because he remembers that he was saved. And so he remembers why he was saved. And was it because he was such a good man? No, because he was a violent persecutor. And the moment you think persecutor, persecutor of who? Oh, the church. (laughs) There's just no escaping it in Paul's life. Everything revolves around the church. And so his life demonstrates the character of God and the nature of the good news. Not because he it was perfect from then on and never sinned, but because he was saved and served. The reality is <clears throat> the church had sin. And the church was being led by sinners. The church is not just an assortment of individuals. Individual believers. It's it's not a bunch of individuals. It's something that's organized and led by particular men who are put into that work at the command of God. And so in the church that Timothy is serving in, you've got men who are sinners leading. And that includes Timothy, doesn't it? And Paul. And what we see is some of those who were teaching, some of those who were leading, were bad. Bad leaders and bad teachers. Some were teaching things that led people astray. Some were, by their actions, leading people astray. Some were doing both. And the fix that Paul gives, and that's really what Paul is doing in this letter. He's giving a fix to the church, right? The fix was not to say, all right, that's it, no more leaders. Everybody's on their own. Everybody just individually be a Christian. The fix, sit down, man. The fix that Paul gives through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit is to correct the sin of the leaders. He declares how the church is supposed to be. And he declares what the church is supposed to believe. He doesn't return to some Garden of Eden time that never existed in the church. He simply says, here is how 
you're supposed to live in service, and here is what you're supposed to believe, the gospel. Our temptation is always to try to fix this problem of sinners in authority by rejecting authority, right? But instead, what Paul does is he makes an appeal to his authority as an apostle to fix the problem. He makes an appeal to the the true doctrine, and then he begins to fight against the false doctrine. And that's the service that he's been called to give to the church. So Paul begins competing with others who are seeking to claim authority for themselves. He doesn't deny that authority exists, but rather he declares legitimate authority and teaching, right? And immediately, that's where you get him saying, and yeah, I was a violent persecutor and an aggressor and a blasphemer. Because why? Well, because those are the kinds of things that they're going to bring up and say, I don't really know if this guy's qualified to be an apostle. And he says, your teaching is so bad that you don't even understand the basics of the gospel, which is that we're saved by grace Through faith, the love of God is what brings us to the point where we're able to be useful, even though I was absolutely the worst guy. Yeah, I don't qualify. Nobody qualifies. And yet God put me into service, and so I'm thankful. Not just that I'm saved, but that I have work to do, that I can be useful. Nobody is such a bad sinner or so messed up in their life that they can't be useful once they're saved. A good friend of mine, very highly educated, very highly trained, but a brand new Christian, was delighted that he could find something to do to be useful to the church by cleaning bathrooms. Service. Service isn't, you know, your ability to serve is not dependent on how much training you've gotten. It's not dependent on whether you've been Christian for at least six months or a year or six years or 60 years. Your ability to serve isn't based on whether or not uh, you ever did bad things before you were saved. And even more than that, your ability to serve Is not, is, is not removed by the fact that you have sinned since you were saved. And I think that's the thing that's probably most important for us to remember because we all see our own sin and we think, I'm still a sinner. How could I possibly be of use to the church? And Paul, you think Paul doesn't know Timothy's a sinner? They traveled together, believe me. Paul knew that Timothy was a sinner. And yet, what does he do? He says, now this command I entrust to you, Timothy, my son, in accordance with the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you fight the good fight. And what's the good fight? Well, it's living by faith. But it's not just living by faith in this vacuum, this as an individual, like now I have to make sure I don't sin. What does not sinning look like for Timothy? It means doing the work he was given to do. Service. Right? And what is his service? It's fighting against all these people that Paul's telling him to fight against. So for Timothy, not sinning means fighting. Not just fighting against his own sin, but fighting against bad doctrine and bad belief and bad teaching and the bad behavior that flows out of that among this whole group of church, including the people who are adamant that they're the ones who ought to be in charge. 
Now this is this is where our this is where our brains explode because what I want to say to you is that's like the the most thankless kind of work that you can be given to do. What we always think is that the moment that you're given authority, and that's what Timothy's been given here, right? This command I entrust to you. The moment you're given authority, that it's all about benefiting yourself, right? And Jesus says this. He says to his disciples, after he's just gotten done washing their feet, what does he say? He says, the kings of the Gentiles lord it over them. And those who have authority over them are called benefactors, but it is not this way with you. But the one who is greatest among you must become like the youngest, and the leader like the servant. For who is greater, the one who reclines at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at the table? But I am among you as the one who serves. You are those who have stood by me in my trials, and just as my Father has granted me a kingdom, I grant you that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom, and you will sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And that's what he means by, you don't lord it over. Is there a benefit to them? Well, yeah, apparently. But what is their work to be? For others. Service. You see what that means? Authority has been granted to Christ's ministers. Why? So that they can make sure that they're well paid? No. So that they can make sure that, they're, that they get all of the honor that's due them as individuals? No. It's so that they can serve. So that they can serve God's people. And what a beautiful thing. Because this is how the solution to the problem of sinners in leadership comes in, right? The solution isn't, let's just throw out authority, let's just throw out those who are in authority, let's just get rid of position, let's just get rid of service, and just make everybody individuals on their own, and no shepherds just sheep wandering everywhere and butting into each other. That doesn't help. What we need is someone given the work of service in leadership. And so it's not about them. It's not about me. It's not about Paul. It's about the body, the body of Christ. And what a glorious thing that is. And Paul's not apologetic at all about that. And he tells Timothy not to be apologetic either. No, he doesn't say that, but what does he say? Well, we just read it. This command I entrust to you, Timothy, my son, in accordance with the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you fight the good fight, keeping faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected and suffered shipwreck in regard to their faith. Some leaders... How do we know leaders? Well, because among these are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan, so that they will be taught not to blaspheme. Isn't that interesting? Paul's teaching and leading are his service. And he pours himself out in service. And in order to accomplish his work, he constantly appeals to the fact that God made him an apostle to do this. So what did he make you a Christian for? To serve him. He made you a Christian so that you're, so that you're able to serve him. Is it possible to fake serving him? Apparently, Hymenaeus and Alexander did it, right? There's all kinds of people who fake serving him, and there's all kinds of people who fake salvation. 
But if you have been saved, you have been saved to service. And that's such a happy thing. Because, was it you saying, it's so, it's so nice to feel like you have, that you're useful. You know? Like, I have a purpose. It's nice, isn't it? Can we be thankful about that? I'm thankful. This is why I love preaching. Because I love being useful. I love it. You, could, you, can, you can make all kinds of accusations about how I love it because I'm proud and I love it because I like being in front of people and I love it because I like talking and I love it because I like thinking that I'm impressive. But frankly, look around. How many people are here? It's not that impressive. I love it because I like being useful. To you. Because I love you and I love God who has saved his people. You can be thankful that God has saved you and given you work to do. And that work, yeah, it it includes music. It includes chairs. It also includes the work that you've been given to do during the week, earning money, he says, you know, let, sh- let those people who don't know how to work learn to work so that they can share with others. And so you've got a job, and you're able to share with others. You're able to give to the church. Wonderful. It's not going to save you. The Roman Catholic Church says it's going to save you. It's not going to save you. But you've been saved to it. And so you have a job. Be thankful for it. It's the service that God has called you to. Let's pray.